You are listening to First Inhuman, where we interview industry leaders and investors to learn about their journey to inhuman clinical trials. Presented by Vile, a tech-enabled CRO. Hosted by Simon Burns, CEO and co-founder, with episodes launching weekly on Tuesdays. Featuring special guest host, co-founder Andrew Bracken. For episode 31, we sit down with Ganesh Padmanabhan, CEO of Autonomize AI. Find out how Autonomize AI is working to better contextualize healthcare data by applying human-centric artificial intelligence to the problem. This is First in Human. I'm Andrew Bracken, the co-founder of Vile. Vile is a tech-enabled CRO built for small to medium-sized biotech, offering faster and more efficient trials. Today, we're here with Ganesh, the CEO of Autonomize AI. How are you doing, Ganesh? I'm doing fantastic, Andrew. Thanks for inviting me and thanks for having me on the show. Thank you. Thrilled to be digging in today into your business and talking about AI in healthcare and clinical trials. I mean, it's such a massive topic right now. And I think I've actually heard a lot less about AI in clinical trials. And so I think it'll be interesting to learn about what you're building. Why don't you uh, tell us what the business does and, and what inspired you to start it? Thank you again for inviting me and to ask you about my story and, and Autonomize's origin story as well. So my background initially, I've been in technology all my life. After spending 15 years in big tech, I was at Intel and Dell, ran several businesses, been involved in data and AI infrastructure-related businesses from the beginning. After my corporate career, I started a few companies, mostly in AI. So earlier was a AI explainability platform that got sold into an enterprise AI company and then left to co-found a company called Molecula, which is about aggregating data to ensure better AI experience with data. So, And then after a change of control and an exit late in 2020, I was looking at what do I do next with my life? And that was the year of the pandemic and the whole world was going upside down. On the one hand, it was a realization that I've spent all my life helping people shop more and search more with AI. I can do something a little bit more meaningful than that. And I see people like you, you're trying to make a difference in people's lives and humanity. And I also fundamentally believe in the origin of it, right? Technology world is moving so fast and rapidly. Applying that technology to improve the human health condition, the human condition is probably the ultimate calling for any technologist, right? So that's was the origin story. And then started digging in in the last few years. We finally launched the company early to mid last year. But we started digging into the space and we understood a few things in healthcare, which is very different from other industries. Number one, healthcare was a very services-heavy industry, so heavily human knowledge worker-centric industries. As a result of it, even most of the data generated is generated by human beings for consumption by other human beings, Right. And that caused the silos, that caused the fact that it's all in different pockets and so forth. The data is incredibly unstructured. So reasoning and asking questions and getting answers from the data is a human effort. And you can have all the algorithms you want, but it's not prepared for those algorithms, right? And then lastly, I think it's healthcare is a highly contextual industry, right? Where in you know, the same piece of data, you have a doctor's note for a patient, how a clinician views that and reviews that to make decisions on clinical decision support for the patient versus how that same thing is looked upon and reviewed by the clinical trial coordinator to select that patient, entirely different context, right? So how do you contextualize that data? So that was the origin story for Autonomize. So we launched this company with a very simple objective, like how do we help healthcare innovators innovate on healthcare data faster, better, and in more contextual fashion, delivering 
contextual experiences for patients and putting patients in the center of it. So we were enabling a technology stack to work on healthcare, the multi-structured, multi-modal healthcare data to deliver uh, winning patient experiences. What does that look like today? I mean, it's such an exciting opportunity, but I feel like there are so many problems. You make a great point. So much unstructured data in healthcare. So many errors you could tap into, right? What does the V1 look like? What are they using you for? Great question. So we didn't go about building the initial platform when we started. We wanted to go into a place where we have reasonable confidence that we can have you know, a slight tweak and deliver an arch outcome, right? We stumbled upon clinical trials, to be honest with you. I mean, we've all been in the periphery of clinical trials. We've all been touched on by clinical trials in my past. And you realize the experience around that is a little terrible for patients and also for the other things. So what we started was Let's look at this clinical development process or the clinical trial process and see what parts of that equation can we affect and empower innovators to do better, right? So we started with the longest part of the journey, which is patient recruitment and retention of a trial. What we noticed there was a few different challenges. One was definitely the availability of patients trying to find them where they are. But then once you identify a high level, you have a few patients in these geographies, these sites, there was an inordinate amount of time being spent reviewing their data across multiple silos, your lab reports, EHR data, patient reported outcomes, you know, their call center logs, everything to identify the fit of a patient for a trial. So we decided to take that on. We got our first customer, which is a leading fast-growing CRO. And what they did was actually they were running a large oncology trial. They were looking at 40,000 patients. They were going to select less than 500 from it. And they had 40,000 patients across 20 different sites that they had access to. And they would get all that data into PDF forms through a health information exchange, put into a data lake, put a secure PDF viewer on top of that. And they're one of the better ones. I mean, I'll give you an idea, right? And they would have these PIs and CRAs really review that in detail to select the patient that meets all the 20 criteria, inclusion, the 50 exclusion criteria, right? What we did was actually apply natural language processing, or large language models on it, we turned that unstructured data that is all EMR data and lab data and stuff, contextualize it in a way to actually provide a match against the clinical trial criteria. That's how we started. We ended the first year with several early customers who actually helped us shape that further. And then since then, we have extended into two sites of that same equation. We are still V1, and it's always be day one kind of thing. Prior to actually launching the trial, the design of the protocol is another chokehold that we found. There was a choke point. And there, what we do is actually help apply the same language models and NLP to understand the impact of the IE criteria on patient burden, site burden, so you can drive better site feasibility studies, but also help simplify, right? And on the other side of the spectrum that we did was actually we also noticed everybody was struggling with patient engagement. And the patient engagement part is if you're recruiting for a trial or if you're looking for a trial as a patient, the average experience today is you go on a website, look at 300 radio buttons to select which conditions you have, click submit and hope to get a call in the next two days. And then you go back and forth. Three weeks later, you're being referred to a site. We want to change that to more conversational, contextual, patient-oriented. And we're working with some early customers on that front too. Obviously, the last six months in AI have been pretty game-changing and kind of like shifted the whole conversation, right? With LLMs, I mean, the producer of the podcast and I were talking before this and we use, you know, LLMs now to help us think about podcast questions and we use ChatGPT on a daily basis for parts of our job. I mean, it's just been like a massive shift. It's now, I think, one of the top 10 websites in the world, right? How have those models kind of changed your 
plans in terms of I've talked to um, AI founders and AI companies, and it sounds like a lot of companies have thrown out some of their older models and older technology and really replaced it with this new generation of models, right? We're seeing from OpenAI and other companies. How has that shifted your plans and the way you're building your technology? We had the advantage of actually only starting last year, right? This is one of those places where everybody says like, okay, oh, we should have started an AI company five years ago. And the answer is no, absolutely not, because you would have developed enough technical debt that you can't unwind from it, right? When we started, we actually noticed right when we were launching early last year that from a technology perspective, you know, that's my entire team is like, we have folks who wrote the most highly performant clinical LLM along with NVIDIA called Megatron and then launched for different things. The lead author for that is in my team, right? There is folks who are actually being in biomedical space and large companies like Novartis, Merck, who have actually worked on early versions of fine-tuning the transformer models for clinical information and biomedical information. They're part of the team. So we were already thinking about this space. And then I think GPT-2, when it was launched early March of last year, is when we really knew that, okay, there is a generative potion here we have to pay really good attention to. So what we built in the initial days, we spent all of last year identifying problems and experimenting rapidly and trying to see what solves a problem, what doesn't, right? And there's a lot of things that we threw away in that process, right? We were like, oh, we should try this. And people said, oh, you're going to go after pharma, so you should actually do safety and pharmacovigilance. And I'm like, yeah, but then you try to look at contextualizing it stuff that the models that we built didn't really make sense because that's a very narrow model for doing one specific thing, right? We were lucky in that regards that we actually set our architecture initially. We were using language models. What changed ever since this happened and these wide variety of updates that happened over the last four months is a few things. Number one, it really helped us understand the paradigm of human-machine interaction. Chat GPD was not, and it's still not the best performing machine learning model out there, right? But they cracked the nut on how do you capture people's imagination to get them to engage with intelligent systems and get answers they're looking for. So obviously, most people are still using chat GPD as a search engine than what it could do in terms of reasoning and prompt chaining and things like that. So that's one thing. We need to pay attention. I'll tell you an example of how we played that in product. So we have an early customer who is actually an insurance company, a healthcare payer, and they were using us for their clinical data review for prior authorization. And it was always the tussle in AI, right? AI was never a technology problem. AI was always an adoption problem. So if you have a medical practitioner who's looking at this and you have machine learning engineers who have figured out what insights they need to actually look at and thrown up on the screen, they're like, I know what to ask of the data. I mean, why are you telling me things that you've packaged up for me? We added a question answering module to that thing where talk to the document. Talk to all the clinical data about that patient and find out all the questions we had. Our adoption in their enterprise went through the roof, right? So human-machine paradigm, the interaction paradigm is one. Second thing I think we also realized is, you know, this is fundamentally going to open up the innovation. The pace of innovation is completely transformed, right? And if you look at historically how you build software systems and so forth, you always go from somebody describes the problem, and then you take that and you write code on it, and then you further down, develop the models for it, you do this thing. What LLMs basically did, the interfacing, the API for an LLM is human language. So what this unlocked for us also was really make progress faster. So if you want to chain a bunch of different LLMs to do a perform a task, instead of taking the output, doing the normalization, converting that to code and feed it to the next model, now you can have languages and interface between systems, humans, 
humans and humans, humans and systems, systems and systems, right? That was a huge unlock because it helps you innovate and experiment faster. And that's the name of the game. And lastly, I would say is, look, we are in a process of not trying to be the best LLM manufacturer in there. We have our own LLMs that we build, fine-tuned and stuff. And I fundamentally think the future is not really large models that are really inefficient. We're actually doing small tasks, but you know, narrow-focused LLMs that are multi-capable, multitask capable, but narrowly optimized for a particular proprietary data set and so forth. But one thing we learned in this process is for application in healthcare, you need to build a fabric around trust, privacy, security, and stuff like that. So we double down on that. That's where we're actually really heavily focused on uh, in that regard. Great point that I wanted to touch on. So thanks for bringing us there. It's obviously a huge concern for healthcare companies, for patients, for physicians, right? If you're using any of these kind of open models, like OpenAI, GPT-4, GPT-3, there's a huge concern that your data is essentially going back, you know, being used to inform the model and improve it, right? And so there's this huge potential uh, vulnerability around data and privacy. How are you addressing that with your business? How are you getting customers okay with the idea of feeding this data into into the model, right? And, And how are you addressing that? couple of different things, right? And I would say it's not just the fact that if you use ChatGPT4 to summarize a patient chart, right? Not only are you training the model with that, but actually the process creates these things called embeddings, which retains the memory of that patient and any, any PHI. It may, and it doesn't always do it. It's like new tasks, zero-shot learning, whatever, which is the bigger danger, right? Somebody quitting the model for something else will just pop up, hey, take a look at Andrew's uh, medical report from his path report from this thing, right? I mean, as a sample, like, wait, wait, what happened? Is it real? So that's the bigger security hole in this whole process. So, but we're we're addressing it in a number of different ways, right? Number one, first off, we don't use the chat GPD or GPD-4 as like the hosted models that are black boxes is not what we're using in our platform. So we have self-hosted models that we host in secure, HIPAA compliant, Amazon and Azure cloud environments and soon on the, on the GCP environment as well. We have the flexibility of bringing the models to the data so we can deploy it as in the containerized infrastructure. So technically, we can actually deploy it behind the firewall of our customer so that the data never leaves their cloud environment. So that's one way we're doing it. The second thing is we have actually innovated around some privacy filters and stuff. So if you're a healthcare organization that is looking at using ChatGPT, talk to me. And if you're really convinced that ChatGPT is going to help you, talk to me because we can actually put a privacy filter between ChatGPT and your data. So there's all these things that we do. So we, we believe there's a bunch of different tools in this process to actually do that. The other things in a, either one thing we fail to understand, and like it's not going to be that the model is almost like a living organism, right? So you have to figure out and you have to design in the human machine collaborative loop in it. And you know, Chad GPD or OpenAI does it as you know, reinforcement learning and with human feedback. Cohere does it from a different perspective and stuff. How do you really give that toolkit to the healthcare organization to define their policy on how their interaction with the model is going to be? So those are all the different areas that we're actually focused on. But in most cases, who are concerned about privacy and use cases, especially clinical data and stuff, we just deploy our system behind the firewall. We push that thing in there and make it I more wonder safe. how many uh, inbound emails you're going to get after this podcast. I feel like a healthcare leader is going to be listening to this like... I want that. I want an LLM for my data set. Thank you, Andrew. And I appreciate it. And please bring it on, right? So, you know, send me a note at ganeshautonomize.ai. But I think, you know, we fundamentally believe in the following, right? The future of healthcare is, you know, it's always been healthcare. It's always been about patient centricity and making sure you're doing things for the patient. But somewhere around the lines, 
it just became about health tech, technology, and all those different things. So what we're actually really looking to do is like powerful tools like LLMs should not be used compromising what you really are initially focused on doing. Just because you can shave off like 30 minutes of the nurse's shift, which is amazing for a hospital system, right? It's a huge thing. But the trade-off for that should not be patient privacy, patient data that's being sent to a public cloud location, right? So we're building a series of tools like this that can be used while you can leverage the latest and the greatest and the most innovative solutions, but then keep in mind your patient-centric design principles and make it happen. I haven't seen that many competitors yet focused on this problem, mostly because I, like you, know how challenging it is building in this space. I mean, you are dealing with an incredible amount of paperwork, and I think people from outside of healthcare don't get that excited about solving these problems. And uh, people in healthcare dream of having better technology, you know, solving these problems. So I imagine you're going to have other competitors that will go after similar problems, right? How do you think about building a moat in this business? There are a lot of other players. How are you going to build a moat? I'll give you the um, thought process around it. And at a high level, and there are some specific plans on doing that, right? So definitely, I think the two things that drive us really in this process is we're incredibly mission-focused, right? So number one is patient-centricity, or put the patient in the center of the system. Whatever we need to do, so whatever use cases we deliver, whatever data set that we touch, all in the service of the patient. And that is a very good guiding framework because honestly, what that allows us to do is choose the things that we want to do that adhere to that vision. Because as you know, as an early company, the biggest thing is you're going all over in a place like this, right? Number two is we believe generative AI is transformative and for every industry, especially for healthcare. But then layering a layer of trust around it is a big focus of what we're trying to do. So it's going to be trusted generative AI. That's what we want to be known for, you know, in the foreseeable future, patient-centric, trusted generative AI. And then lastly, I think the plan A and plan B is just look at plan A is go build a customer mode. And we've been incredibly lucky with a very short, a little over a year in our existence. We got early customers, several large Fortune 500 companies in healthcare are actually leveraging our capabilities and exploring it and piloting it in different forms and so forth. So we've been incredibly lucky and we intend to actually just continue to double down on that momentum. Don't focus on the competition, you know, go to this true north, which is the patient and the customer in this case. So we're just going to go drive through that. That's great. Final question here. Sounds like you've been involved in a number of very successful businesses and you're at it again in what's probably a challenging time with these markets. What's your advice to entrepreneurs building right now in healthcare? You know, a year in, I imagine, you know, you've got a ways to go to build a massive business. What is your advice for other people that want to do that and follow your path? I wouldn't say strongly advice, but just some observations that, you know, if I were telling myself in the scenario, right? They're already building, just keep building. I mean, keep focusing. I think in turbulent times like this on the funding scene, but also exciting times in the technology scene, just kind of super weird, right? In this environment that we live in, right? There is this irrational exuberance and excitement about technology and what it can do. Whereas we're worried about the economy, we're worried about, you know, the the funding round, the, the macro situation that we're in so far. AI is moving so quickly that investors are kind of confused by what to do, right? Like we're seeing so much change so quickly. Yeah. In that scenario, the only true north I would actually look for is focus on the customer. You know, you've started companies before and, you know, with Weil and before that too, and myself. Being obsessed on the problem and the customer 
is going to see you post-process, right? Number one, you know, advice or like observation that I would say, like, and last year when we started, I mean, honestly, we had this wide blank slate and saying, we're going to do so many different things here and let's see what really sticks and stuff. But I also didn't personally want to go and raise a boatload of money, like we've done in some of our earlier <laughs> ventures too, where I wanted to go and because I was going into an industry that I wasn't very familiar with personally. My co-founder comes from a health tech background. And we wanted to build conviction for ourselves that there are problems worth solving that somebody is willing to pay for, and then can generate you know, outsides returns for everybody. And then once we actually validated that is when, I'm assuming this comes out after our fundraising announcement happens. So once that is done, that's when we went and raised our first venture back financing round. And we're incredibly excited to have our early investors like Asset Management Ventures and Loop VC and ATX Venture Partners and several angels and pharma executives, if you will. So we live in incredible times. And I think there's never been more positive outlook because if you believe in technology as religion, as Balaji wrote a long time ago, right? So if you believe in technology driving, you know, eventually, because the greater good and technology will mean that everybody has a better quality of life over time, then this is just a momentous time that you just will look back and say, shit, that was hard. But just focus on the true north, focus on the customer. And you'll see it through the other sides. Ganesh, thanks so much for the time today. This was an incredibly interesting discussion and so cool to dig in on AI and how AI can really empower kind of the next generation of healthcare tools. So thanks so much and uh, good luck with the business. Thank you so much, Andrew. I look forward to the announcement when you actually launch it. So that's awesome. Thanks for listening. Be sure to follow us on Apple, Spotify, and Google. 